Welcome to the CFITrainer.net podcast. First, we want to acknowledge the tragic home fire deaths in the first month of this year, particularly the devastating fires on January 5th in a Philadelphia three-story row house where 12 residents died, and the January 9th Tremont high-rise fire in the Bronx that killed 17 people. We're grateful for the hard work of the investigators to determine the accidental causes of these fires quickly and the follow-up from both Metro departments with fire safety education outreach to these communities. Many of those lost in these fires were children. Now is a good time to remind everyone that closed doors and working smoke detectors save lives. We can always do more to educate our communities on space heater, Christmas tree, and fire ignition materials access safety. For more information on these fires, please see the resources links on the podcast page on cfitrainer.net. Our featured story today is the development of a new NFPA standard affecting fire investigation, NFPA 1321. It's the standard for fire investigation units, and it's currently under development and slated for release in early 2024. Randy Watson joins us today to give you a preview of this standard. Randy is the first vice president of the IWI and the chair of the NFPA 1321 Technical Committee. Randy, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Rod. It's great to be on. I really appreciate everything you, Linda, and the whole uh, Stonehouse Media team do to help promote fire investigation around the world and everything. You've been a great partner with IAAI for these many years and really appreciate all the work you do. Well, thank you for that, Randy. We couldn't do it without all the expertise you and, and all of your peers bring to us. So we're, uh, we're very grateful. So as far as NFPA standards go, I, I think some of our listeners may not be familiar with uh, what a standard is or what an NFPA standard is. Can you give them a brief overview of what it is and how it's developed? Absolutely. 1871, uh, when that uh, Miss O'Leary's cow allegedly knocked over the lantern and created that great Chicago fire, that started a movement that resulted in NFPA being born in November of 1896, over 125 years ago. Wow. That started the process of life safety and fire safety and the need for standards. There was no standards in Chicago at that time for fire hoses, so various departments couldn't hook in to, their, to each other's hoses. So that's why the city eventually burnt to the ground. NFPA standards were developed to help get everybody on the same page with firefighting, and it's evolved from there to what we have today. Have we done anything to memorialize Mrs. Leary's cow? <laughs> well, uh, there's been a lot of studies, and uh, I think that theory has been called into question. So. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll go with it because it sounds interesting. Um, and of course, I just want to dig farther on that, being around all you guys that do investigation. But we'll uh, we'll turn our attention to 1321 and wondering why this standard for fire investigation units is needed. Rod, all standards from NFPA start with the concept. The concept for 1321 came out of the Organization of Scientific Area Committees, referred to as OSAC, that was started in 2014. Uh, 
And that committee or the subcommittee on fire and explosion investigation uh, came about through a collaboration between the Department of Justice and the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, to evaluate the state of forensic science in the United States. As a result, these subcommittees addressing different forensic sciences were developed. One of those was the fire and explosion subcommittee, which I have served on since it started. <laughs> this committee looked at, had a pretty easy job initially because we already had 921 and 1033, so they didn't have to create any standards. They could improve those. However, in reviewing that, uh, the committee saw a gap. We had 921 that addressed fire investigation. We had 1033 that addressed the fire investigator, but there was nothing that addressed the, the management of the fire investigation process. It's kind of like the third leg of a fire investigation stool. As a result, the OSAC committee submitted a proposal to NFPA in 2017 to develop a standard relating to fire investigation units to fill that gap. One of the interesting backdrops to that discussion in OSAC was the realization that fire investigation units struggle tremendously to get training and resources. Uh, one of the largest departments in the country indicated that their huge fire investigation unit only had a budget of about $3,000 a year for training. Uh, <laughs> in a fire department, you know, obviously most of the money goes to the big red trucks uh, because that's what's, and that's necessary. However, the fire investigation unit usually is at the bottom of the barrel and is struggling to try to get the resources and the training and the certifications and the support they need to do the job that's required. So that was one of the underpinnings that the committee felt there was a need. So that proposal was submitted to NFPA. NFPA then in September of 2017, published this proposal in the NFPA journal requesting public input of those in favor of creating this new document and those opposed. They also asked if anyone, if this committee was developed, was anyone interested in being involved? And surprising to me, because uh, I know how much the fire service loves uh, new standards out there telling them what to do, the feedback from the industry was split evenly, about 50-50, those in favor of something like this and those opposed. As a result, NFPA decided to move forward with this standard in uh, December of 2018 is when they approved the standard, approved the, well, approved the committee, approved the scope of the committee, and approve the roster of the committee. And that was December of 2018. It's interesting to me, um, that split. And I, I, I wonder a little bit more about it. I, when I think about it myself, being involved with you all, I feel like I understand why we would wanna have a standard because of the so many different setups and 
as you said, you know, such inconsistent training in some cases. What, why were people opposed? Do we know? Well, um, and like I said, I was shocked because I felt that the overwhelming response would be negative just because like 921 for the first, you know, eight or 10 years of 921, people were adamantly against it because someone else was telling them the way they should operate. (laughs) And I think that was a large part of it. And that also factors in which what we will talk about later, I'm sure the public input we have received kind of mirrors that. So that's, that's where the, I believe a lot of the, the comments came from. Some realizing this could be used to help them going to their chiefs, their city manager to get more funding uh, and others saying, we don't need another document telling us what to do. Interesting. So why was it decided that this would be, uh, why was it on its own? Why wasn't it incorporated into 921 or 1033? Well, that's a very interesting question and it has come up multiple times. When uh, this was submitted to NFPA, when they decided to move forward, they had three options. Uh, They could uh, incorporate it into 1033, they could assign it to 921 or they could put it in their, a new standard. The concept that was proposed by OSAC was to create a standard. That concept wouldn't fit with 921 because 921 is written as a guide. A standard is written in mandatory language and can be adopted into law. So it wouldn't fit with 921. It could fit, could it have fit in 1033? Possibly. Uh, it could have been a separate section within 1033 and would have required uh, some changing of the title, but 1033 is also written as a standard also. Uh, However, the Standards Council decided to establish a new technical committee. And the interesting part of them establishing the technical committee was the scope. Uh, The scope for this committee was that they would have primary responsibility for standards relating to the development and composition of fire investigation units. And then they had a important caveat that this committee does not have responsibility for the development of standards relating to fire investigation techniques, methodologies, or fire investigator professional qualifications. So basically what they were saying is this committee can work on fire investigation units, but stay away from 921 and stay away from 1033. So you didn't get into conflicts with between the documents. But the, the Standards Council, which is the governing body within NFPA on standards, made the decision that they were going to appoint a separate technical committee to handle this. Give us some insight. How, how's it being developed? And, and what's the target audience? One of the things that makes that NFPA process and the NFPA documents like 921 and 1033, what they are is the process NFPA uses. They use the same process, whether it's a standard, a guide, or recommended practice. This process is 
a little different when it's a new document. Uh, for a new document, they establish the committee, they provide the committee a scope, and then instruct them to move forward. Then the committee meets. You know, for 1321, uh, we were appointed as a committee in December of 2018. In 2019, we had, um, January of 2019, we had our first meeting uh, over a phone call uh, to kind of introduce the committee to each other and define what a fire investigation unit is. Then the committee would go through and develop its text ultimately. It would be published as a draft. That draft would get public input and then there would be a comment period and then be published. In between that, the committee is reviewing each one of those. To, to give you a little bit greater insight into how 1321 progressed, uh, our first meeting was to uh, define what a FIU was. That was because that in turn would target who our audience would be. The committee uh, defined a fire investigation unit as an entity within a public or private sector agency with responsibility for fire and explosion investigation. Uh, so that set up everything that was going to follow with the committee work. Uh, once we did that, then the committee set out to outline the document. Uh, in this case, the technical committee decided to adopt the outline that was submitted by the OSAC committee when they submitted the proposal to NFPA. Okay. So that laid out the eight chapters that currently exist for 1321. Hmm. So that must be an interesting process. Um, I, you know, sometimes I, I wish we could have a microphone in the meetings uh, just, to, just to hear how things get batted around and how, how decisions are made. How, how does the content ultimately get written? The, uh, and one of the interesting things about NFPA technical committee meetings, they are all open to the public. So anyone can go and attend and I would encourage anyone. Uh, they are usually the best seminars that I go to uh, sitting in there and listening to the uh, and watching the sausage being made, if you will. <laughs> uh, and, and sometimes that's kind of what it is like. But the way we proceeded with this uh, is but from my time as 921 chair, uh, I used that same process of task groups. So we established a task group for each of the main chapters four through eight. That task group was then given the task of outlining the chapter. Uh, we wanted the task group to provide the outline and bring that back to the full committee so the committee could edit, approve, or send back to them for more work, the direction they were going with that chapter. So once the task group outlines were reviewed by the committee and approved, the task group, which is made up of subject matter experts, uh, began to filling out the outline that they had created. 
Now, one of the things that's important in a NFPA committee is NFPA requires a committee to be balanced. Uh, by that, I mean, you are placed in a category based on who you work for. I work for SCA, which is a private company. So I am classified as a special expert. Someone from a fire department may be classified as a enforcer. Uh, and so there's nine categories and no more than one third of the committee can be made up of any one category. So you have all these different perspectives. Uh, the task groups develop the text. Once they are comfortable with the text, they submit that back to myself as chair and our staff liaison. Uh, we review it to make sure it's compliant with NFPA's uh, code of standards. And then it is provided to the entire committee. And the task group goes through the chapter with the committee. The committee discusses it. The committee evaluates it and ultimately the committee approves it. Once all of the task groups have gone through and completed their work, the first three chapters of the document were prepared, which is the administration, the references, and the definitions. And those were pulled directly from the actual chapters. Now we have a complete draft of the document. Then, the entire committee reviews the document as a whole, and we can uh, approve that document. So that's how the, the text kind of gets from the initial stage of here's the idea to what the draft looks like. And so that draft is completed. Let's say you approve it. And I, I find it funny that NFPA has a code for how they write. Um, what happens then? This goes out for public comment again, correct? Well, uh, yes, it does, but there's, a, there's another step. Uh, again, this goes back to once we have completed, we have to submit that draft to the Standards Council. Now, one of the things that is uh, important that I failed to mention, uh, in our first in-person meeting, which we held in May of 2019, uh, the committee voted on how the document was to be written. Uh, it could be written in a standard or it could be written in a guide. Uh, if it is written in a standard, it would be more the size of a 1033, written in mandatory language uh, and short. If it's written in a guide like 921, then you can have all of the explanatory material in the document and in the text rather than an annex item. Uh, the committee uh, discussed it and voted to write it as a standard. Once all of the draft material was completed, we submitted it to the NFPA Standards Council in uh, the spring of uh, 2020. The Standards Council then reviews it and they can publish it, they can send it back to us uh, with instructions. They met in August of 2020 and approved the standard as a, uh, a draft, or well, it was actually uh, 2021. They approved it as a draft. Then it went out to 
uh, the masses. Anyone can write a public input for the document and public input closed January the 5th. And we had 229 public inputs wow. for this draft. So there's tremendous interest out there in the, uh, in the community. Is that a lot? I mean, is that compare that to 1033, for instance? It is huge. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is a great deal. It is more than we have gotten in 1033. And it is more than we have gotten even on 921 on a, an occasion or two. Uh, so it is a lot for a document that is only 30, 40 pages long. Uh, and, and the comments are all over the, the map from the first chapter, from the definition of what a fire investigation unit is, all the way uh, through all of the chapters involved. So there's tremendous input, uh, you know, interest, and I'm glad to see tremendous input into the NFPA process. Yeah, that's great to hear. So I can imagine in some ways, um, this is going to be very supportive of the efforts of some people in fire investigation who need funding or uh, need the proper orders to build and do what they need to do to further support fire investigation. Would that be correct? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the goals of this document, and it's something that there was some misunderstanding by you know, parts of the community initially, is this document was being prepared with the idea of providing guidance on policies that fire investigation units need to have. Uh, for example, the fire investigation unit should have a policy on evidence. Uh, the document is not gonna say what the, what the policy should be because the policy for evidence for ATF is going to be vastly different than the policy for evidence of SEA or the policy of evidence for the Chicago Fire Department. So it's really trying to provide guidance on the policies they need to have in place. And this involves, you know, relating to the organization, uh, to the resources, to safety, to training and education, to documentation and reports, uh, to provide that that guidance. And one of the things in the definition of a fire investigation unit is it applies to both public and private. Uh, the definition the, uh, the committee came up with was an entity within a public or private sector agency with responsibility for fire and explosion investigation. Most of the time uh, prior to this, when I thought of a Fire investigation unit, the first thing that came to my mind was fire department. Uh, but the committee's definition would apply it to both public and private sector fire investigation. Okay. And in your, um, yeah, and I guess in some places that would be both from the fire department or from law enforcement. So, yeah, I, I, when I think of it that way. Um, it was something else that was on my mind and it slipped. <laughs> yeah, and many of these are combined. Uh, there's a, a, a combination unit uh, that has, you know, it may be housed in the fire department, but there's police officers assigned to it. 
so this is more about the management uh, and operations of the unit. Uh, so, you know, we have these 229 public inputs that we, that the committee will be having a meeting uh, within the next couple of months to evaluate each and every one of those public inputs. We are required to address every public input that comes in. And then we will publish a report on the committee's action for that public input. That report will be coming out in October of this year. When that report is published, the same time it's published, the document is now open for public comment on our committee action. And that will be open until January of 2023, uh, at which time the committee will then reconvene and review all of the public comments that come in. Uh, and then there'll be a report generated from that. That will come out in October of 2023. So wow. there's a process that goes through and there, the committee has to do a lot of work in reviewing uh, all of these public inputs and comments. Seems, yeah, and it seems like the process is very inclusive and, and transparent. Um, that's nice to see. I guess what I was thinking of before that I had forgotten was that while you said that this is a standard um, and does and has to be shorter. And you brought up evidence collection as an example. I'm guessing that that's the beauty of having 921. Um, they, you know, these things can work in concert together. They can go to 921 for a guide on how to handle evidence, for instance. Correct? Absolutely. That's that's why uh, you know the the policy may you know 1321 may say you shall have a policy relating to evidence storage and or evidence labeling or evidence handling. Well, 921 is where they can go to to get that information on what is the best way to handle evidence and evidence storage and processing and labeling and bagging and tagging and, and all the necessary things. Okay. So, you know, that's how they will. And the same thing will be as it relates to like training and education certifications 1321 has a statement that you shall be certified in accordance with 1320 or 1033 so that we're not 1321's not telling you the things you must know it's referring you to 1033 for the requisite knowledge uh, that you you're required to have so that's how these documents all work together got it so you on schedule um to, to release in what I think we said 2024. Uh, that would be my uh, guess. The uh, public comments report will come out in October of 2023. Uh, if there are no appeals to the committee's discussion uh, and decisions, the document would be out first quarter of 2024. If there is an appeal, uh, for example, uh, Rod, if you submitted a public input and the committee decided not to change the document based on your public input, then you submitted a comment and said, you know, I believe the committee is making the wrong decision here. They should change it to read X and here's why. And the committee said, no, we still don't want to do that. You can appeal the committee's decision uh, to the Standards Council. Uh, the Standards Council then reviews that, vets it. If it's an appropriate appeal, they certify it. And instead of the document coming out 
first quarter of 2023 or 2024, the document would be held to their June annual meeting during the technical session, which the uh, NFPA membership would address. So mm -hmm. that would delay the document coming out until later in 2024. But everything is, uh, that's one of the things about the NFPA process. Once you enter a cycle, you have these deadlines that you're required to meet. We, the committee has to meet by a certain date so that we can evaluate it to give NFPA time to put everything together and then it gets published. So that's one of the good things about the NFPA process. There is a structure. Uh, it is very open. Anybody can submit public input. Anybody can submit comments. You don't have to be a member of NFPA. You don't even have to be a member of NFPA to be on a technical committee. Uh, so it is a very open process. Uh, it's very transparent and it's very inclusive. Anybody can be involved. It, 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 it seems really well done. I'm uh, thinking about, okay, 2024. And let's say it all goes well, it's released. Um, what's your hope? about how people implement the standard once it's released. What do we, what do we hope to gain? What I'm in hopes that uh, we will see is then a, a concerted effort by those that are in charge of fire investigation units, uh, not necessarily the fire investigation units itself, but the entity that they're a part of realize the importance of fire investigation, the role it plays in life safety, uh, holding people accountable that have uh, intentionally ignited fires, uh, holding manufacturers accountable for products that may have been on the market to cause fires, for, for that safety. So awareness of the importance of fire investigation units, but also an awareness of what is required to be a fire investigator. Uh, a fire investigator must testify as an expert. Uh, if they are not qualified by a court as an expert, they would not be allowed to testify. So as a result of that, I'm in hopes that through the use of you know, this document, uh, through the policies that it's talking about, they will be able to get better funding for, for training, for support, uh, for certifications. I hear many uh, public sector investigators say, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, going for the IAAICFI because my department will not support that. Uh, so we're in hopes that through this document, it will raise that awareness of the importance and the need that fire investigators have so that they can, you know, do their job of you know, life safety and holding people accountable for fires and better serve their communities. Do you think it's going to create more fire investigation units? Uh, I don't know if it will create more fire investigation units. I hope it will create better fire investigation units uh, that, you know, people will uh, realize the needs uh, you know, and uh, because there are some departments that their fire investigation unit may be one person. Uh, maybe this will raise awareness that 
you know, we need more people devoted to this profession uh, to better serve our, our community. Do, is, is the document going to do anything to deal with chain of command or the way that units communicate even across disciplines? Uh, I, I don't believe we're going to be really addressing uh, a chain of command. Uh, there are some other standards out there that I believe get into that. And, and two, the, the chain of command is so different depending on the, the type of unit. Uh, you know, there's going to be some of the policies in, that are addressed in 1321 that are addressed by the parent agency. Uh, so some of those policies may be dictated by the parent agency. Uh, so I'm in hopes that this will create better fire investigation units with more resources, more training, uh, and, and more uh, emphasis on the job of fire investigation, what it involves. Okay. So how can people participate in the standards development process? Because it sounds like this is all on the way, people still can get in. I, there's going to be some opportunities to chime in uh, with public comment. But, but in general, how can people participate in the standards development process? Well, first and foremost, you know, go to the NFPA website at nfpa.org and go to the 921 page, the 1321 page, the 1033 page, and you can register to get alerts for what's going on with those documents. So when a, the public comments or the public input report is published, you would get an alert. So that will keep you involved in the process. Go on and fill out the application to become a member of a technical committee. Uh, in addition to contributing, you will learn more than you will contribute. Um, I've been a part of NFPA technical committees uh, since uh, 1991, and I have learned far more than I've contributed being in those committee meetings and having the discussions, the debates. So filling out the application uh, to become a member. Also, as I have indicated, all technical committee meetings are open. Uh, they simply ask that you let the staff liaison and the chairman know so they can make sure the appropriate space is provided. If it's in person, if it's virtual, that's not really a problem. And observe. Uh, observe what goes on, uh, and it will be a tremendous educational process to see how it happens. Uh, everyone that I've ever invited to come to a, and attend a committee meeting, uh, they've always had the same reaction that, you know, holy cow, I didn't understand what all went into this <laughs> and, and the discussion and the debate. Uh, the other way to stay involved and stay up to date is uh, through IAAI Journal. Our FISC committee does a terrific job updating the membership on what's going on with all of the codes and standards across the fire investigation uh, area and trying to provide the members with uh, the most up-to-date as to where they are, what's coming, what's going on. So those are some ways that everyone can stay involved with what's happening and aware of what's going on in the industry. It's interesting. So great. So you've told people how they can participate um, and how they can stay up to date. And again, that's by going to nfpa.org. So good news there. And thank you for that. Um, well, Randy, am I missing anything? 
no, I think we've we've covered a lot. Uh, there's tremendous interest in 1321. Uh, I'm expecting we will have a lot of public comments when that time comes that we'll be dealing with next year. Uh, but the good part is the more public input and public comments we get, the better the document will be because of it. So uh, I look forward to you know more discussions and more involvement. In, from the fire investigation community in the process. Well, sounds like a great process. And I know you've been around as a leader within that process for quite some time. So that's appreciated. I thank you so much for being with us on the podcast and, uh, you know, getting back to our earlier discussion, you have been a stalwart supporter of the work we do on CFITrainer.net. And we appreciate the many hours you've donated uh, to help the fire investigation community. And I wish you the best of luck. I know all of us do as you move into the presidency of the IAAI International. Uh, thank you, Rod. It's definitely going to be an exciting time and uh, looking forward to it. I guess we will see you at ITC. Absolutely. We're looking for a record crowd. Uh, the uh, site selection committee and the training and education committee have put together a tremendous program and we're way ahead of our numbers for uh, registration. So we're looking for a record crowd in Jacksonville. Well, that'll be a good time. And uh, it's just great to see the faces walking around with the smiles or the inquisitive looks because they've just had their brains jammed with new information. It's, uh, <laughs> it's all good stuff. <laughs> and, and everybody is dying to get back together after not being able to have our annual conference for the last two years. So everybody's yeah. excited to get back together. Yeah, we, we need to do it. Well, thanks again, and uh, you be well. Thank you, Rod. Thank you, Randy. Bye-bye. And now some news from the IWI. The IWI's International Training Conference 2022 is rapidly approaching. This year's ITC is in warm and sunny Jacksonville, Florida from April 10th through the 15th. Over 100 hours of training are available for you to choose from. There are classes on case studies from the investigators who work them, boat and ship systems, commercial kitchen fires, fireplace and chimney fires, fire investigator health and safety, fire sprinklers, vehicle fire investigation, formulating hypotheses, HVAC systems influence on fire development, and fundamentals of fire investigation. The spouses program has been reimagined for this year with new group outings and special perks Details on IAAIITC.com. Again, you can learn more at www.IAAIITC.com. So head on over there to get the details about the conference and then click the link to register. We hope to see you there. This podcast and CFITrainer.net are made possible by funding from the Fire Prevention and Safety Grant from the Assistance to Firefighters Grant Program administered by FEMA and the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Support also comes from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, and voluntary online donations from CFITrainer.net users and podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Stay safe. We'll see you next month. For the IAAI and CFITrainer.net, I'm Rod Ammond.